It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Um, I hope you've been paying attention to, believe it or not, the over-the-air TV listings. Because coming up tonight, Saturday night, The Greatest Geek Year Ever, 1982, a miniseries that's going to play out on the CW, starts tonight. It's at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, 7 p.m. Central. But uh, let's not forget, my God, what a year for 1982. E.T., Poltergeist, Tron. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Rocky III, unbelievable films in 1982. And, uh, you know, certainly us older geeks remember that year fondly, seeing a lot of those movies in the theater. I certainly saw all those. Poltergeist, did I mention that? Jesus. I mean, what what a year. And um, a couple years ago, I was talking to Mark A. Altman, who you might know from the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, a show that I uh, cite often in my Star Trek reviews. Um, Mark and Roger Lay made this incredible documentary with Scott Mance and uh, ran a Kickstarter for it. And, um, God, I was looking forward to seeing the movie, but I'm so pleased that uh, Mark, I would imagine with his ties to the CW, that, of course, the network that ran Pandora, Mark's uh, sci-fi show that ran for a few years on the CW, um, I'm hoping he had the juice. And certainly in the midst of this period of needing new content and everything, I'm so glad they made the deal to make this instead into a mini-series. Um, I'm sure they overshot with uh, footage that um, maybe if it had been a theatrical release, we'd only get you know a portion of what we're gonna get on TV. But this is great. So I'm really excited to watch it and figured uh, this is a good opportunity to represent my conversation I had with Mark back when the Kickstarter campaign to fund the film was underway. And I was happy to help him promote it, and that was great. Of course, we talk about Pandora and some of his other TV shows, and of course, we talk about Star Trek as well. But uh, it was really a pleasure uh, talking to him. And also, I think, kind of consistent to, uh, as I, I still haven't seen Indiana Jones. I got to see it. I know. I know. Believe me. And uh, But then again, obviously, the movie's underperforming, and um, it's kind of uh, tying back to the conversation I had with Joe Casey in the last Word Balloon episode about the nostalgia circle and how, you know, again, um, maybe younger fans just don't have that love or need to rush to see the last Indiana Jones movie, knowing that it's going to be on streaming in a few months. Who the hell knows? I, I really think it's more and more of a crapshoot to release any sort of film right now in movie theaters. It's fascinating, given the decades, if not 100 years, 
literally more than 100 years, people going to Nickelodeons back in the early 1900s to see movies. Look where we are now. Fascinating. Um, Rob Burnett makes the same point that a lot of um, uh, intellectual properties, they only have mostly a shelf life of around 20 years. You know, Jesus, man, Indiana Jones has been around for over 40 years. It's, it's very, very interesting. Well, anyway, good ex excuse to uh, represent this great conversation I had with Mark A. Altman. So we're going to talk about uh, 1982, uh, Star Trek, and a hell of a lot more on today's Word Balloon. Word Balloon is brought to you by AlexRossArt.com. Alex will be at San Diego Comic-Con in uh, just a few weeks. His booth number is 2415. You can't miss the Alex Ross booth. Uh, always this incredible gallery presentation of some of his most iconic covers and interiors, but also new stuff as well that you will likely see on your favorite comic covers in the months ahead. Make sure you check out alexrossart.com at San Diego Comic-Con booth 2415 it's always uh, very distinctly and gigantically located in the center of the action in San Diego on the main convention floor check it out or go online for alexrossart.com Word Balloon is brought to you by my followers the League of Word Balloon listeners that's the name I gave my uh, followers uh, through Patreon patreon.com slash wordballoon listen Things are tough this year. I won't deny it for me, uh, financially. If you've ever considered supporting Word Balloon, I could really use your help. So uh, if you think Word Balloon is worth the price of a comic book, uh, even a dollar a month would be greatly appreciated. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Thank you very much for your uh, patronage and your attention, the League of Word Balloon listeners. If you uh, subscribe to Word Balloon, I will send you an email that will have a domino mask and cape and a nice League of Word Balloon uh, listeners emblem that uh, you've seen here on Word Balloon as well. But uh, thank you for your support. Patreon.com slash Word Balloon. Get ready for the ultimate comic book extravaganza. Terrificon is back at Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut from July 28th to the 30th. Over 100 comic book creators, tons of celebrities, and hundreds of vendors all under one roof. Meet your favorite comic book writers and artists, mingle with celebrities from movies and TV, and explore a treasure trove of comics and collectibles. Terrificon, where dreams come true for comic book fans. Don't miss out July 28th to 30th at Mohegan Sun in Uncasville, Connecticut. Get your tickets now at Terrificon.com. Terrificon, the ultimate comic book experience. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It's Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntress here. Really excited about today's conversation because I've been a fan of uh, today's guest for a long time, going back uh, to his uh, work on, uh, and I want to get his official title of what he was doing on Free Enterprise, I believe, uh, executive producer. But uh, he hosts several of my favorite podcasts. He is about to embark on a very interesting uh, documentary that a Kickstarter campaign is underway for. Uh, asking the question, was 1982 the greatest geek year ever? So he's waiting right now backstage. Let's bring him in. It's Mark A. Altman. Hey, Mark, John. How are you? Good. Really great to meet you, Mark. Congratulations on uh, a lot of your projects. What was your title on Free Enterprise? Forgive me. Well, I was a producer and I was a writer. So There you go. I've had Rob on. Burnett to talk about this uh, several times, and uh, of course we get into our Star Trek uh, discussions as you do on uh, some of your fantastic podcasts, including the Inglorious Trexperts. 
There's a good family photo right there. Not mm -hmm. only, not only on the Electric Surge uh, network. Is that on which uh, streamer is Electric Surge on, man? Well, Electric Surge is where the video podcasts are, and they um, it streams on everything from IMDb TV to Stir, Distro TV. There's the Electric Now app. Um, so all our podcasts are on Electric Now as well as episodes of Librarians and Leverage and The Outpost. And uh, uh, it's a great streaming app for video. And then, of course, the podcasts are also available through usual means, any podcast provider. Yeah, um, man. No, I'm there every Friday. I w I'm in the midst of uh, today's Inglorious Trexperts episode where you've got uh, the original casting director for... <laughs> Not only uh, the Star Trek original series, but even goes back. It's a podcast. It's a long one. It's That's a, I'm, hey, that three hours. Hey, I'm. I, uh, those are always welcome to listen to, and uh, I, I won't, I won't keep you before your dinner time tonight. But uh, <laughs> Rob and I have been known to uh, to go on forever about uh, a lot of the same stuff. We're close enough in the in ages. I think you're a little younger than me. I'm 56. But oh, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm in. I'm I'm in my late 20s. So there yeah, you go. Attaboy. There you go. <laughs> We grew up in the same era, it seems, with a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff you cover on uh, not only uh, Trexperts but also uh, the Four Thirty movie. Yeah, another, that's another podcast, which is uh, I love doing, where we curate fantasy theme weeks of uh, classic movies. You know, last week we did New York State of Mind week, which was New York movies, and Darren at the end of the podcast jokingly said, "Oh, next week we should do L.A." So we did uh, to live and die in L.A. week this week. So that was oh, that's great, fun. excellent, man, very, very cool. Uh, I understand because I'm like that with Chicago movies, being from uh, <laughs> being from Chicago and living in Chicago. Come on, uh, Continental awesome. Divide, Chicago, Abe Froman, absolutely, yes, indeed. <laughs> so here, I want to go through the uh, the class picture here. Yeah, so you are second from the left, and then is that uh, is that Ashley next to you? It's Ashley Miller standing next to me, who wrote Thor and X Men First Class, and is a frequent guest on Trexperts and. Uh, then uh, next to me is Darren Docterman, my co-host uh, on uh, Trexperts. And also he was the uh, visual effects supervisor on the Star Trek, the motion picture director's edition. And is a concept artist for uh, like Riddick and Westworld and a whole bunch of stuff. And Steve Belching, who uh, wrote for the Clone Wars and Rebels and X-Men, the animated series. And he was just guest starring on this episode when we took this picture. I don't, I don't even remember which episode it was. <laughs> Fair enough. But uh, I'll tell you, no, I really enjoy the interplay between yourself and Darren and Ashley, you guys are kind of the regulars. Rob pops in occasionally. You oh, do have great. It's always good to have Rob uh, drop by. You got great guests. Uh, I heard a, a few weeks ago you had her back. You've got, an, in addition to the regular Inglorious Trexpert show, uh, the episode commentary show, which is called. Yeah, Trexpert's Briefing Room, which we launched like two or three months ago You know, we're, you know during the, the height of the pandemic. And uh, it's audio commentaries for significant Star Trek episodes. And we bring in writers, producers, super fans. And um, we got Brian Fuller coming for Bride of Chaotica with Voyager. We had Brian Braga do, um, do cause and effect, but I really wanted him to do Sub Rosa. We just did Spock's Brain. I think Goodman did the Apple. Um, we did, uh, Mike Susskind did the, uh, in the, in the, um, in a Mirror Darkly. So we've been, we even did a Discovery episode with uh, Jesse Alexander and Aaron uh, Colette, uh, one of their first season episodes. That's excellent, and I really loved uh, you guys with Brian Volk-Weiss doing uh, Chain of oh, Command. Command. Yeah, that was fun. Hilarious. Brian, you know, Brian's great, and he is a, he's a die-in-the-wheel Trek fan, and 
um, uh, we had a great time doing that chain of command commentary. So it's interesting. I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't really looking to do another podcast and it sort of came about as a lark and now somehow we committed to this weekly schedule and it's, it's, it's brutal, but, uh, but we're having fun. I'll, I'll keep doing it as long as we have fun. Because hey. the Trexpert's going is, is, is insane, but we got some great guests coming up and Joe D'Augusta was one of them. And we were doing an episode, of, we're doing our first two part episode in a couple of weeks, which is uh, we have Gene Ronbray's notes from uh, Star Trek three and the studio notes and Gene Ronbray to Hart Bennett. So it, we recorded, it was like five hours and we said, we just got to break this one up because it's, <laughs> it's insane. Well, as uh, an old radio guy that loves to mimic things, uh, I love that Darren has uh, cracked the code on uh, Roddenberry and oh. nobody, nobody does it as well as Darren, but I, I do try to follow his bru- uh, blueprint. I will not embarrass myself today, <laughs> but I'll just tell you, that uh, I I do really it's like oh that's how you do it okay fine and you know good doing mimicking a voice it's a lot like singing it's either in your range or it's it's not now, so uh, it's it's it's, um, <laughs> it's just it's incredible I mean he is he's a freaking nature I mean the Monterey <laughs> voice is incredible and I mean he's pulled it out on like Shatner and I mean the best really? Rod Roddenberry at a bachelor party when he was. Getting- <laughs> Something was, you know, a tawdry was going on, and uh, he, he and, and and Rod lit up, and it was it was actually Rob's bachelor party. And, I mean, this was many years ago, and okay. uh, and, and it was, and I forgot, I totally forgot about it. And Dan mentioned it on this week's show, and I'm like, oh my god, yes, I remember that. So, um, Darren is incredible. One of my favorite episodes we did was where we did a deep dive into the novelization of Star Trek: The Motion Picture, and he read like all the parts, like <laughs> Decalion Persis. I mean, it was great. It was absolutely great. That was awesome. And also, I loved the speculation of what would have been uh, the original series' fourth season. And oh, you guys yeah. kind of went through that. That was a great episode as well. I've, I, yeah, we, um, you know, we're always looking, you know, we try and have a mix, particularly now that we're doing a Zoom and not in the studio. So a mix of like interviews, deep dives with people who either worked on the show or significant figures in Trek history, and then just the bullshit episodes. Where we sure. sit around and, and 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 BS and talk about you know uh, the essential Kirk episodes or um, you know uh, best aliens or you know whatever whatever we do um, and it's funny because there is you know I I work so hard to get the um, the interviews and then uh, we end up uh, having all these people say I like the episodes where you guys just sit around and BS it's like can't win no no I mean well uh, you know I'm, I'm easy to please because again it's always great to hear a great. Trek discussion amongst people who really are passionate about the show, know their stuff. I am constantly learning, listening to your show. And absolutely, man. Well, I know also one of the main things you want to talk about today, and let's get into it. You got a Kickstarter campaign going on for a really great idea for a documentary. Now, I've seen several of you uh, at Comic Con do panels on this subject as well. Right. But, uh, and I'm reasonably certain one of the years you had to have covered. 1982 and you're asking the question was 19 or or i guess making the we're argument decided. we're not asking <laughs> yes it, uh, yes according to you guys it was the greatest geek year ever and yeah i mean again just looking at uh your poster here and all the various films that are i see rocky three of course i see star trek two uh you know i i've i've heard your commercial prior to the start of your podcast uh, go ahead and uh, list a bunch of other obvious films that are that are yeah, in there or television. Dark Crystal, you know, low lying fruit is you know ET, which opened today, thirty nine years ago. Wow, 
Star Trek Two, Poltergeist. But you know, then there's the more obscure stuff. The Thing, of course, Blade Runner. But um, you know, Tron. But then there's stuff like Time Rider and Megaforce and Halloween Three and the remake of Cat People and you know, uh, Q the Winged Serpent and and Forbidden World and you know, mainstream movies like The Verdict, which is one of my favorite Paul Newman movies. And Mr. Garvis film. Uh, and you know, Fast Times, which. Entertainment uh, Weekly called the, you know, Citizen Kane of T-Sploitation films. So, I mean, so many, so many great uh, 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 films that came out that year for, you know, in every genre. Like, we're leading with the geek stuff. But, I mean, you know, is Rocky Three really geek? Yeah, you know, 48 hours. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's the list is so it's king of comedy. I mean, it's insane. You know, so um, it really is a, a spectacular thing. And, and you know, I had done, um, I had done a... Uh, um, curated a, 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 a weekend or it was like a five-day event at the American Cinematheque, I don't know, 15 years ago for 1982, for I guess what was the uh, the 30th anniversary of 1982, and, um, you know, showed Dark Crystal and The Thing and Blade Runner and Star Trek II and Poltergeist and, and, and had, like, great guests from all these movies. I mean, back when, you know, so many people were still alive, I mean, it was really extraordinary. And um, Tron, and I, I was like, I, and I didn't videotape it. I didn't do anything. You know? ah. And I was like, oh, what was I thinking? And uh, and it was extraordinary. And afterwards, even then, I'm like, oh, I wish I had that on tape. I mean, even, you know, had my my phone out, to, it would have been nice. But um, <laughs> but uh, it was extraordinary. And 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 then we did you know, our first panel uh, 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 devoted to the subject of Comic-Con, where we did the 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever. And that was like standing room only and people loved it and every year we've done since then 1983 1984 1985 and it's, it's interesting because it's carried through all these years and we did 1989 two years ago and when comic-con at home came to me we kind of deciding do we go to 1990 or do we go back and do 71 or 81 and we decided let's do 81 so good on at home we did 81 which is also an extraordinary year you know, American Werewolf in London, Excalibur, Heavy Metal. Um, you know, it's, it, again, a really deep Clash of the Titans. Really, really great, uh, uh, great year. So we did that, and that's going to debut at Comic-Con at home. And then I guess we're going to go back and do 1982 next year. Hopefully it'll tie in with the documentary, which hopefully we'll be promoting. It depends on whether or not we hit our goal on, on, uh, on Kickstarter. Understood. And, yeah, uh, that's that's great to hear. Okay, so so – this next month, you're going to be doing Comic Con at home and doing uh, yeah, 1981. 1981. That's great. Uh, week, uh, you know, under the 430 movie brand, and then you know, hopefully next year we'll revisit 1982 in some form or fashion as part of promoting the, you know the release of the documentary, which uh, you know uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be starting on that next. We, you know, we've already re- gotten some stuff, but we're re- you know assuming it funds. We'll really be pursuing that aggressively starting next week, you know, next month. Okay, and here these are your uh, cohorts for. Uh, yeah, for, my uh, to crime. Uh, Scott Mance, who is film critic for Axis Hollywood, he's a very well respected film critic. Obviously, a big Star Trek fan, um, and he's part of it. And then, of course, Roger Lay, who did the Roddenberry Vault and all the uh, Star Trek special features for Next Generation and for Enterprise. And uh, um, you know, he actually. Uh, uh, you know, so the three of us are, are producing this with Tom Vitale, my partner on um, uh, Pandora, and um, it's very, you know, it's very exciting. It's just something I felt very passionate about for a long time, and hopefully, um, we'll uh, we'll make our goal and be able to put this into production. 
Absolutely, man. No, I, I do hope you do reach your goal, and that's why I'm happy to help you promote this. And I'll oh, be not not only on the video, but of course on on War Balloons audio podcast as well. We'll take uh, the audio and have that out there this weekend talking about it. Um, and again, um, I think the three of you guys are the right people for this because. Uh, in addition to uh, what you guys do at uh, Comic-Con every year, you guys do these incredible, you and Roger in particular, do these incredible oral histories. And, man, I'll tell you, 50-year mission, both volumes, there it is, and literally does lay out that entire history of Star Trek pre-production all the way through the initial pre-production notes of uh, Discovery. And John's it's, uh, turning into this is your life here. Yeah. And, I, and that, yeah who, do you recognize I, I, this voice? Exactly. I, I, I appreciate it. I, I'm so proud of those books of 50 year mission. I was very reluctant to, um, to, you know, look at, at the time, this is five years ago or more, um, when we wrote them, um, and Ed Gross came to me and he said, look, you know, let's do something for the 50th. And, you know, I, I really don't have a ton of time and, you know, I'm, you know, producing a lot of TV and movies yeah. and stuff. So I, I kind of was like, no, and he kept asking me, and I kept saying no, and um, and it, time was getting short. And you know, it's funny because it, it was one of these real synchronicities. I read this book. I, I want my MTV. It was an oral history of MTV, and I loved it because it was yes. informative. It was sweet. It was funny. It was tragic. It was just amazing. And I thought, wow, this is a really cool way to tell the story. And I said, you know, maybe we could do that with Star Trek. So I called up Ed and I said to Ed, I said, you know, I have an idea. I'm not saying I'm going to do the book, but I'm saying that if we did it like it's an oral history and our agent can get a, a you know good enough deal, then I consider it. So, you know, we, we so he immediately went to our agent and then she shopped and she sold like in a day. And and then I was stuck writing it. And then I said to Ed, which he agreed, was um, look, Ed, if we do this, it gotta be the best book ever written on Star Trek. I'm not I don't want to write the, the third best book on Star Trek, you know. Um, it gotta be it gotta be great. And so um what happened? Nice. There you go. Did I you turn that, that on or did I do that? I think you just did that, oh but that's God. fantastic. How, how Let's hear and now a break from Asia. Here's heat of the moment, everybody. Uh yeah, oh my god, I accidentally hit uh, that was not intentional. I'm just an idiot. So um Oh, that was great. It's so funny. Um, and it was, it was short enough that you don't have to clear it. So, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so, you know, so I said, it got to be the best book ever written about Star Trek, which is you know, hard. There are a lot of really great books written about Star Trek. And um, we, we wrote it, and it was a monster, you know, a monster, because it was supposed to be one book. And we, we, we called up the uh, editor, and we said, uh, we have good news and bad news. Good news is we're done. The bad news is it's too long. We think um, it should be two books. And he said, I'll be the judge of that. He was very, very wary of this. And um, he read it. And that Monday, we got an email. All it said is, it's two books. So um, that was wonderful. And then it came out, and the response was incredible. Uh, and, and it sold extremely well. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm really proud of, uh, of those books. And then, of course, We've done a bunch since, you know, we did uh, Buffy and Angel book. We did the Galactica book, which is a lot of fun. The Bond book, which is probably my favorite next to is. the Star Trek book or on par with the Star Trek book. And then um, we, you know, of course, have the Star Wars book coming out in July, Secrets of the Force, uh, which I heard today is already number one on Kindle. Hey, know? awesome. That's it's great. Like, 
I'm like, what? I since didn't even come out yet. So, um, so that's cool. That's um, fantastic. Yeah, and and this was also one. This is one we we also are like, well, you know, it really should be two books. And they're like, no, we want the whole selling point is the entire Star Wars saga in one book. So it got to be one book. And I'm like, oh, okay. So, uh, but I, I think I think it turned out really well. But um, but yeah, so it's been crazy. I keep I tell Michael Corleone, I keep trying to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. You know, <laughs> and and uh, so uh, anyway, but, uh, this- but yeah, the Star Trek book was 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 just an extraordinary experience. And, you know, we really got a lot of people, right as, sadly, a lot of people were passing away. We like to joke we were like the angels of death. We would interview somebody, and then shortly thereafter, they would pass away, or they pass, you know, it was it was really challenging. But, um, sure. uh, you know, it's 50 years. It's 50 years when we, you know, so. Right. Um, but I, I, I just think it, it um, you know, it's an adult book about Star Trek. I said it's candid without being gossipy. Okay. Um, and uh, I think it's very fair. I think the oral history is, is great because it's like Rashomon. We as the authors don't have to say, this is the way it happened. You can hear three different people telling three different stories and you get to, the reader get to decide which is true. Who knows, you know? Um, I do. You have to be the referee. So I really, I love that about oral histories. Hey man, uh, honestly, you, you've in an inadvertent way inspired me to do a, a Chicago retrospective and do an oral history. I'm going to do it as a podcast. I'm a lazy writer. Like I, uh, I'm, I'm really good at doing this. I've, I've done, I've done radio broadcasting for, for over 30 years and done a lot of interviews and I'm very comfortable doing audio, but then I actually write, it's kind of like Hitchcock. Now I got to make the thing, right? You know, it's in my, I've already storyboarded out. And I actually got to drink the thing and it's like, Oh, so, uh, I, I can definitely relate. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. But this com- Secrets of the Force comes out in July, right? This comes out in July. It comes out early next month. That's great. So it's a big, uh, it's a big summer because we have, um, you know, obviously the Kickstarter going on, the book coming out. You know, uh, I'm going to be uh, with uh, Darren. I'm going to my first Star Trek convention in years. We're going to be at the uh, 55, uh, 55 uh, year mission uh, in Vegas, the big Vegas convention, which I haven't been to in probably 10 years. Um, but they were very Adam and Gary 
really wanted me to come and Darren was going and he really wanted me to come. And I'm like, you know what? I, I, especially since there's no San Diego comic con this year and I'm vaccinated and things, you know, like, sure. I'm like, sure, I'll go this year. So, um, so I'm going to go to Vegas in August for the big Star Trek convention. Um, so it'll be interesting. That's great, man. No, I, I hear you. I'm, uh, my first comic con is uh, back is it's going to start in August at uh, Terrificon in Connecticut. Oh yeah, uh, Mitchell Halleck. Mitch Halleck, absolutely. But he, by the way, he says hello. He remembers fondly uh, being at uh, one of the uh, in New York for the Prince Junket for your series Femme Fatales. And oh, yeah. uh, I think he was also he was at the um, the junket on either for Agent X or for. Um, he might have been. I think he might have been there for Pandora, if I remember the last. Okay, time. that's cool. Yeah. Hey, man. Honestly, I I keep meaning. Is Agent X streaming anywhere? By the way. Yeah, I think it's on Hulu. Okay, I yeah. got I I keep meaning to readdress that show because I I remember that Pandora. Uh, you've had two seasons. Yeah. And uh, there's the cast right there. Um, I uh, I, do we know? I mean, are you have what's happening? Is there going to be a? Oh, we haven't made an official announcement. All I can say is just good news forthcoming. Fantastic, uh, wonderful. I can't, I can't say much more about the third season. Well, yeah, regarding season uh, three, we will we will be uh, announcing some news soon. But there are just certain details that need to be ironed out before we can officially announce it. But um, it's uh, I'm excited because uh, you know obviously third season for Next Generation was where it really hit its stride, and I'm very proud of the work we did the first two seasons. You know, with very little money, and I think with the third season, it's uh, we can do some incredible stuff. And you know, the first uh, season, it was really, um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, second season, we really ha- we produced the height of COVID, so it was very challenging. And you know, it'd be nice to go back to actually having big, uh, uh, big extra scenes and uh, not testing every every couple of days uh, for uh, you know COVID and. You know, it takes a big chunk of the budget too. Twenty percent goes to COVID mitigation, so that was rough, especially for a show that already has a pretty small budget. So, and you, and you shoot in Bulgaria, and um, I, I'm almost, I'm, I'm always fascinated by you know shooting in places like Bulgaria. Um, like, yeah, what uh, you know, moving forward, are they, are they, have they been deemed safe? Are they, uh, you know, is it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, Europe, you know, Europe is now, you know, Europe was way ahead of us. Like, when we were shooting, it was much safer to be in Sophia than it was to be in L.A. Okay. You know, that's, that's changed a little bit now because, obviously, L.A. is one of the safer cities on Earth right now in terms of COVID. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I will say that I think by the time we're shooting, say, theoretically, we're shooting in fall, say that maybe, let's just pretend. Perhaps. And, uh, you know, that I think it'll be, it'll be fine. And... Um, you know, it's a really interesting place. I've had a really great experience shooting there. I mean, it was a really tough situation because we got greenlit by the CW in February, and we had to be on the air in July. So wow, we literally got greenlit, and then you know we were shooting in April of what I think 2019, and then on the air in originally it was be June, and it ended up being July. So we had this you know ridiculous you know so the amount of time we had to build sets that first season and get up and running and cast, and it was it was crazy. So you know. I, I feel like uh, you know, second season it was a little better uh, in terms of us having more time and uh, more planning, and um, third season even more so. So uh, it's exciting, and people can catch up if they want. The first two seasons they're streaming on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Yeah, so it's yeah. free, no commercials. You got a 4K set; it's screaming in 4K. And then, given the amount of time we spent on color timing and sound mix for the high, watch that. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, it, I mean, I watch. I made the mistake of watching some of the episodes on Directv 
when they aired on the CW. And it's just like, oh my God, with all the compression and everything, like, why do I spend all this time making these look so good? Interesting. If, uh, you know, so what, if you watch it on Amazon, I think it's, you know, it's, it's appreciably better. And as as a guy who you know grew up loving Star Trek and stuff, I mean, this is great because the, the and and elaborate on on the the uh, the the show the concept pitch for Pandora. But essentially, this is kind of a Space Fleet Academy. Yeah, it, it, it has that element. I mean, when I pitched the idea of it, it was very much the paper chase in space. It was the future. It was um you know sort of a sci fi academy premise. And you know the show has evolved in the second season. It's much more in space and with spaceships and. You know, um, uh, you know, a third season. If let's say theoretically, the third season can be much more Starship Troopers, um, fun, and a little more of a conspiracy thriller, a little Three Days of the Condor. It's gonna be. We got some really cool stuff cooking for that. So, um, you know, each season we kind of reinvented a little bit. It's you know, I know that that didn't work for Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. I think it works for us. We mix up the cast a little bit, um, and and have you know, and I'm sure that'll be the case next season. There'll be some cast changes and some new cast and. You know, new storylines and stuff, but uh, you know, we left it on a cliffhanger uh, at the end of the second season. So uh, we'll pick up from there. You know, theoretically. Theoretically, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's funny you mention Space Nineteen Ninety Nine. I know it's come up a lot on Trexperts. Uh, Fred Freiberger. Well, you can't help it because again, um, showrunners, as you know, are very important to television series, and uh, certainly, I imagine your oral history. Uh, research has kind of uncovered that with the various television shows you've you've uh, examined, and you know, again, Fred Freiberger, the killer of uh, Star Trek season three, yeah. ten years later, around there is kind of doing the same thing with Space nineteen ninety nine, and it's uh, I you know, um, I know that uh, nineteen ninety nine has been streaming in a few places yeah. in the last few years uh, on over the air TV. Uh, it just started running. MeTV just spawned a new channel called MeTV Plus, and locally it runs at three in the morning Chicago time. Oh wow! <laughs> which kind of is perfect. It's kind of oh. perfect for night. So it's one a.m. your perfect. time, and uh, and it's man. I'll tell you, I've I've I'm, in small doses. I really do appreciate the first season of nineteen ninety nine. But uh, then you know, yeah, I, I do remember it being very clunky in the second season. And uh, yeah, unfortunately they kind of leaned into their fry burger and uh, well, I, <laughs> I remember we were doing our countdown of a hundred greatest sci-fi episodes of all time for Trexburg. So I went back and looked at a lot of space 1999 on the Blu-ray set, which is great from shelf factory. Yes. And uh, you know, the first thing I remember as a kid was loving bringers of wonder, the two part episode at the end of second season. And I watched it. I'm like, what was I thinking? This is terrible. But then I went back and watched a lot of first season and there's some terrific episodes of space. Like that. You know, it's very deliberately paced, but there's some very thoughtful and cool. And, we, you know, we talk about on the show, you know, because it's so wrapped up in Star Trek and particularly our nostalgia for Star Trek, because those of us who grew up at a certain time watching Star Trek in syndication, we remember when Space 1999 premiered and it was going to be the new Star Trek. In a that's sense. right. It's like that's how they were selling it. And it was something new. And we'd already watched the repeats of Star Trek so many times. So this is going to be something new and exciting. And, you know, I think we all were like, we wanted to like it so much. And, uh, you know, and it was sometimes very hard to like. And so there's just so much nostalgia for it um, that, is, you know, it's interesting. And then, you know, you go back and look at it now and you realize that there's a lot of stuff that did very well. And I think, um, you know, the production design, the music, yes. some of the performances, yes. 
So, uh, you know, once you get past the premise of the moon traveling through solar systems, <laughs> sublight velocities, and, you know, it, it's it's cool. I mean, I, I, a couple of people from Space 99 I wanted to cast in Pandora for guest stars, and it didn't work out, but I'm I'm hoping to do that at some point. You know, Nick Tate, I, I've always liked. Catherine That's Schall, great. I've always liked, you know. Yeah. That's, you see, and I love that you're doing that with Pandora, and you are kind of... In, wow. a, in a quiet way, you know, stunt casting, but really, to, like, help these people out. Like, Twelve people appreciate it. Like, when I cast Aaron yeah. you know, Aaron was so sweet because she said, you know, look, I always wanted to be a captain, and on the show, I finally got to be a captain. It was, like, great, and that sort of inspired me to want to cast more. I mean, we had, in the spy episode, Miriam Diabo, you know, from Living Daylights, and, like, that was, you know, it, she was great, and we, you know, it was, it was so great getting to sort of know her because Ed had interviewed her for Nobody Does It Better. I, so I didn't really know her. And she was, you know, super sweet. And wow. originally we had wanted to cast, that was the episode we were going to cast George Lazenby and Catherine Schell. It was going to be on a Majesty's Secret Service reunion. And George Lazenby all of a sudden wanted all this money, which we didn't have. And so we couldn't cast him. And then when we couldn't get George, we wanted to keep Catherine for something else because the whole idea was, you know, that would have been on her Majesty's Secret Service 50th reunion kind of thing. Sure. So. Oh, well, no, but again, it's great. And also, hey, I, as I've learned, um, I had to join uh, SAG, and it suddenly clicked in, and it might have even been through either conversations on your show or a show like Gilbert Gottfried, when, you know, as a kid, or, I mean, I'm a big old Hollywood fan, I'm sure you are too, not only our sweet spot of when we grew up, but really, I mean, uh, the whole history of Hollywood, and I'm, I'm yeah, I guess, clearly. fascinated by every decade. But I'm like, why are these great, stars of the 40s and 50s showing up in these monster movies or weird things or crap and it's well it's to maintain their in, their health insurance in a lot of ways I, look and, absolutely i mean you look at all the um you know the Irwin allen movies in the 70s and the airport movies and you, you think about like ava gardner and burt lancaster and all these i mean legendary stars that are doing the schlock and i mean it, it, it's amazing i mean i remember this was great i was talking to barbara carrera for uh, the the Bond book about Never Say Never Again, and we were talking about she did this movie, Erwin uh, uh, Allen movie called um, uh, The Day the Earth Ended, uh, and it, they ended up changing. So they they wanted a different title, and uh, it was William Holden and Paul Newman and um, Burgess Meredith, like this amazing cast. So she said the best thing about it was they shoot in the South Pacific, and every night Paul Newman would cook dinner for them at his wow. Country. So she says they're sitting around trying to come up with a new title for the movie. And William Holden says, I got it. The day our careers ended. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. Was that when time ran out or? Uh... Ran out. That's right. It's when time ran out. And, is it, and isn't that the one where uh, Burgess Meredith is a former circus acrobat <laughs> and he's got to walk the tightrope across the volcano? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I, it, it's just, I love that stuff. It's like when we're talking to Joe D'Augusta this week on, Glorious Trexperts. It's like, yeah, we talked about Star Trek, but I mean, we talked about the Lieutenant for 20 minutes. We ended up talking about the year living dangerously for 20 minutes. And we talked about pretty maids all in a row for like a half hour. Well, I and, can't wait. Go and, on. And about Irwin Allen. And the story he tells about Irwin Allen is amazing. And that, and that's the thing. It's like, I use Star Trek to, to draw people in, but then, you know, we talk about every, you know all the whole thing, all Hollywood, not just, you know, not just Star Trek. And you know, these people, they're, they're old. They're getting, you know, and it's like we got to preserve their stories, you know, and there's a whole generation that doesn't care about anything pre TikTok. So it's like, it's so important. 
I, you know, Mark, I completely agree. And I keep saying pre nineties. And that's great that in fact, a lot of your geek movie sweet spot is the eighties decade, but pre nineties after the nineties, literally every fart has been recorded. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's family videos or politics or entertainment, everything's documented. And that means really the 20th century is the one where there are little gaps here and there. And some of the best stories as evidenced by you talking to the casting guy and stuff, they're from the below the line people as far as film production. And in fact, I I got to talk a couple of years ago with uh, uh, Don Nunley, who was the prop master for uh, Le Mans, the the Steve Mm -hmm. McQueen racing movie. And then he also did a handful of other movies and a ton of the Westerns from the early sixties. And just like you said, our, our introduction was talking about the McQueen movie, but I'm like, you, you did bridge, uh, bridge over Ramagan, this David Walper film from the late sixties with George Siegel and Robert Vaughn and a, a, a classic kind of World War II 60s soldier movie that was shot in uh, Czechoslovakia during the revolution in Czechoslovakia when the Soviets came in and Dudik, the prime minister, was kind of beaten down and forced out because he was getting a little too uh, Western for the Soviet taste and, and getting a little free with uh, freedoms for its citizens. Yeah, the whole Prague Spring, yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, tell me about that. And it was great. And he had an amazing story. So, no, I hear what you're saying. And and you're right. These people, we got to talk to them before uh, they go away because yeah. they do. They're the ones that have the fun stories. We missed a bunch. And, the, you know, the problem with the actors is the actors are always on. And I always say that about the Star Trek actors. They, they don't actually remember what happened. They remember the stories they told at the conventions. So it's like a game of telephone. They just keep repeating the stories from the convention. And then they see what gets a laugh. And then that's what they stick with. And so the stories they tell have no basis in reality anymore. You know, they're all just for entertainment purposes only. Right? And, and so it really is the below-line people you know, who have a much more um, a realistic perspective on what actually happened. Now, I, I always say, you know, say, oh, why don't you talk to the actors more? They're the least interesting people to talk to when you want to get, like, real information about something because they want to just entertain you, you know? And if it's not a flattering story, they don't want to tell you. Going to uh, press junkets at San Diego in New York, I've been doing Word Balloon for 16 years. And, and and initially, yeah, back in 2005, that's when I started. And, um, uh, you know, and I, and primarily comics. But again, you're at, you're at New York, you're at San Diego. And especially early on, do you want to be on the press junket to talk to the stars of X series? Sure. And just like you said, they only have so much information. And I always say uh, beyond the – we say below the line for people who don't know the term. We're talking about the production designer – you know, maybe the assistant costume director, yeah. costume design. Yes, I mean, and they do. I got it. Do you do you watch on Cinemax Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus Show? Are you aware of this oh, show? No, I don't have Cinemax anymore. I don't. You know, I so many of those uh, premium stations. Well, he he's dealing with the music business, and he literally does talk to the customers, the makeup people, the tour the tour bus driver. And the first season is all about country music. The second season was about hip hop. Mm. And there are these incredible tales from the road kind of stories about a lot of, you know, guys and women that, you know, didn't mind sex, drugs and rock and roll, but from country and R&B standpoints, amazing stories. And yeah, I always, after learning on with the press junkets and stuff, like you said, it's like, I'm, I really focus with the writers, the showrunners. I want to talk to Ashley about, uh, 
Dota, the Dragon's Blood uh, cartoon. Yeah, which is doing on, great on Netflix. And, uh, you know, he'd been working on that for a long time and, and uh, for a long time couldn't talk about it, uh, as you know from listening to the podcast. But um, it's doing so well. I and mean, he had such a great experience doing the show. I mean, he really, uh, and it's so gratifying to see how successful it's been for him. Totally agree, man. No, it's, it's, it's very, very cool. And again, the guy, you know, had his moments about writing Thor and writing X Men First Class as he has. Yeah, one day he'll write something people see. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I and uh, talking to Rob too, uh, Burnett. I've been able to, you know, kind of uh, through yeah, him. Uh, it's such like, a great niche for himself as a commentator, and uh, you know, with his uh, YouTube videos and everything. Yeah. I'm happy for him. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No question. No, it's, it's really been fun, and uh, I'm very happy for him. And then happy for you, Mark, because honestly... When I saw Free Enterprise, you know, uh, 30 years or 20, 22 years ago, it was a great experience. I love that movie. And I, uh, I saw it in the theater, um, you know, right for Weigel. It's so weird. And, and again, talking to Rob, I had no idea uh, the back. I mean, I was excited because it was a movie about Star Trek. So you had me at a low. But uh, I, to really learn that kind of the Chicago critics were kind of shitty to Rafer because of his dad, Tim. And I mean, again, I've been in I've been in Chicago broadcasting for over thirty years, so you know, certainly knew uh, Tim and was friendly with him. Wasn't paying attention to the critics. I didn't I didn't care. I wanted to see this movie, and yeah, I just thought you know, it's your Free Enterprise's Big Bang Theory ten years earlier, basically. One of the heartbreaking things about that Chicago hating Rafer thing was Siskel and Ebert. Uh, Gene Siskel was knew the family really well, I guess, and. You know, yeah. Ebert and Siskel didn't get along, and um, so they, they, you know, when when it came out in Chicago, they didn't want to review it because of the Weigels. Wow! You know, I grew up on Siskel and Ebert ever since it was sneak previews, and that would have been a dream, you know, to have those guys, and it could have really helped the movie too. And it was a whole political thing because of the, Tim Weigel that they didn't want to um, review the show on Siskel and Ebert, you know. And yeah. that sucked. I mean, that was really yeah. disappointing. Um, but, you know, look, A Free Enterprise to me is you know, it's the first film I, I, I made, had theatrically released. And uh, it was an incredible experience, you know, working with Shatner. You know, you, you, your first movie is always special, but this was really amazing because it was tied up in all this other stuff. My love for Star Trek, my love for Bill Shatner, um, you know, and it was a very special film. And, you know, it's very frustrating for Rob and I both that, you know, it's not out on Blu-ray. There are various reasons for that. And, you know, uh, I hope that that will happen at some point. Um, but, you know, we don't own the film. We don't control the film. And the people that do, you know, make decisions that I can't explain. So um, uh, hopefully, you know, that'll happen at some point. Because there's a whole generation of people that don't know the movie. But I think, you know, there are people that know it very, very well. And they love it. And it's always really nice because when I'm at conventions, people always come up and you know, have something to say about the film. And, you know, you get those same stories to Star Trek people. Like, this film changed my life. It inspired me to get out of my parents' basement, you know, to see the <laughs> world, do this, kiss a girl, you know. And, and 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 uh, you know, also, you know, some guy who was having just real issues with his family and, you know, really de- depression. And he watched the movie and, 
it changed his life. I mean, it's like, you know, you, it's very easy for someone like me to be cynical about that. And, you know, I hear that and it's like, it's, it really means a lot, you know, it has sure. a lot of resonance. Um, and I'm so glad that that, you know, has that kind of impact. But for me personally, you know, it, it, it started off my career as a writer and producer and, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot on it and, you know, I mean, I treasure those moments on set with Chatner, um, who is, you know, really a delight. And then the whole process of selling it, it was a whole year where Rob and I were traveling the world where we were in like the camp, a camp film festival with it, with Bill Shatner. I always joke, he took the Concord and we took like steerage. We were like you know, <laughs> coach on Delta, you know, sub coach on the wing somewhere. And, you know, Bill's like, Oh, you know, and then he's at the, you know, the hotel, the cap, you know, and we were in some shithole and I, I don't deal well with shitholes. So I like called the publicist and I said, I don't care if I have to pay for it. Find me a nice hotel. I'm not staying at here. And, uh, and then, you know, Bill ended up giving his, um, you know, the bomber jacket he wore in the movie to Planet Hollywood Can, And we're at this huge press conference. It's amazing. I mean, it was remarkable. And I always tell the story, but it blows my mind. You know, the the, the, really, the distributor did a party um, for uh, along with the people doing Festival Can, which starred um, uh, Maximilian Schell. So Shatner shows up at the party. Maximilian Schell, they haven't seen each other since they made Judgment in Nuremberg. This is a party for our movie. And they're reunited. And and Rob and I are laughing because, of course, to us, it was Captain Kirk meets Dr. Hans Reinhardt of the Cygnus for the Black Hole. So we just thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> you know, That's uh, awesome. Yeah. Was, uh, you know, I'm just like, that's the way to start your career. So the movie wasn't a huge hit. You know, it's a cult film. You know, we didn't make a ton of money off of it. It doesn't matter because it's like memories like that are priceless. I hear you. And also... Um... You know, uh, all all of the armchair filmmakers will laugh at uh, Ed Wood, and I love when Dana Gould shoots back with, uh, "He got like four movies made. How many movies did you get made?" And it's true. I mean, and that's and or you know, um, Dave Gibbons, the co-creator of Watchmen. Uh, you know, obviously Alan Moore is beside himself that the rights didn't go back to them, and and I completely appreciate that. But by the same token, I've gotten to be friendly enough with Dave over the years, where I'm like Dave. The one thing that nobody can take away, and he already knew this, but I had to remind the audience. I'm like, you're Dave Gibbons, co-creator of Watchmen. Yeah. You can walk into any meeting, and people will take meetings with you because of the success of Watchmen. And yes, it's a shame that from a rights standpoint, you guys didn't get what you were promised, but nobody was expecting Moby Dick, and you co-created Moby Dick. Yeah, And that's got to be great. And he's no, like, I, you're I, right. Yeah. You know. Enterprise, you know, we, we got, for the most part, rave reviews, except in Chicago. You know, we won a ton of awards on the festival circuit, you know, um, so it really helped, uh, you know, our profile in t around town. And, uh, you know, and we got to travel the world. I mean, I hadn't really traveled outside the U.S. much and you know, got to go to Spain and got to go to France and got to go, you know, all these amazing places. So I'm so grateful, you know, for that whole experience and, and become friends with Shatner, you know. So, um, you know, all, you know, it was a win win. You know, I, I, I never, you know. And I just, like I said, I wish now there was a good version of the film for posterity. And I'm sure that'll happen one day, but um, uh, it's just, it's frustrating that it hasn't happened yet. I know, you know, Rob feels the same way, I, I'm sure. Well, and I know too that there is a version that people can watch on Amazon Prime, right? Or there was, no, I don't no, know if it's still there. That, that shouldn't have happened. I don't know why that happened. And that was like a TV version, 4.3. There's not a good high-def version and, I don't okay. know how it happened, but it's been rectified, and 
it's not uh, not not there. So there's really no way. Oh, to they watch pulled it away. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. The, only, wow. the only way to watch it is if you can get it the the old DVD on um, Anchor Bay called on. Uh, <laughs> was it Anchor on? Uh, was it Anchor Bay? Uh, yeah, the, the wonderful Anchor Bay DVD you can get on Amazon, but you know it's out of print. So, but that's the way to watch it. You know, that's the unfortunately yeah. it's the best way to watch it for the time being. You know. I understand, and no, I you know, and when Rob told me, I I went out and grabbed a grabbed a copy, so I understand. Uh, definitely. Let me ask you. Version I have. I don't even have a high def version. I don't have any. I have, best version I have is the DVD. So. Yeah. No, I understand. I want to ask you about Shatner, and again, I don't know how much you can answer this question, but um, I I you know your your Trexpert shows are always very positive. I haven't listened to the commentary with Jesse. And uh, if if also was Eli the other uh, uh, Discovery, oh, right? The one they did on Discovery, yeah, yeah. But it does seem to me, I mean, and and in fact, you know, they they started doing Star Trek Day either last year or two years ago or whatever, and it really does f- feel like the current uh, wards of Star Trek. Uh, there's just something weird with uh, them and Shatner, and I also know that m- much like your experience with George Lazenby, I know. In the case of back when Enterprise was on the air, right. they were toying with the idea of having Shatner on. You guys cover it in, in your 50-year mission book. But it just really does seem like they're minimizing the importance of Shatner. And they made this great poster of all these different faces for this Star Trek Day thing. And, you know, big shot of Nimoy, big shot of uh, Sunita Martin-Green, fine, nice shot of Sulu. And there's a little kind of the size of a dollar bill kind of head of Bill Shatner Kind of in the background, and it's like, folks, there wouldn't be this celebration. And I know you feel this way, but like, can you explain? Because it does really feel like they 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 almost purposely kind of files Shatner in the middle of the stack, rather than being like, you know, come on, man, this wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Shatner being the star of the show. Yeah, all, all I'll say about that is, if there were a Mount Rushmore for Star Trek, the head would be. It would be Shatner, Leonard, Gene, Patrick, and Avery. That's Mount Rushmore, right? Yeah, that's Mount yeah. Rushmore. You know, and so uh, if if your show, if your if your franchise exists on the back of Bill Shatner, you should respect that and you should honor that. You know, um, yeah. And, uh, I think anything less, and again, you know. I can't understand certain decisions made by marketing people or, you know, trying to um, target a certain demographic or, or to um, market in a certain way, but it's disrespectful, not only to Bill, but to everyone who, you know, grew, grew up on, on Star Trek and, and loves Star Trek and cherishes that character. Um, you know, look, Leonard is um, a singular talent, but, as we know from watching The Cage, we would not be watching Star Trek 55 years later without Bill Shatner. Yeah. How great Leonard was, which he was. I completely agree. And uh, I, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't understand it because, again, the other uh, reality is at 91 or 90, I forget how old Bill is, but he's got more days uh, uh, behind him than ahead of him. And we certainly no, wish no well. He's going to live to be 200. I would I love that. Guy. He looks 50. I know. No, goddamn, you're right, man. I mean, literally, <laughs> uh, for the for the fiftieth anniversary at Comic Con, 
when they had that exclusive press panel. I'm assuming you were there probably, but uh, they had, well, you know, this was when Fuller was still attached to Discovery, and they had this great all-star panel of it was Shatner and it was um, Scott Bakula and Mike Dorn and, and Brent Spiner and uh, Jerry Ryan. Uh, it was it was terrific. And, uh, I mean, you're right. I mean, the guy is just ridiculously spry for 90 and so alert. And he's got a reason to get up in the morning. And I, I, I say that to my friends who have older parents and relatives and stuff. And it's like, as long as I got something to do, you know, that's going to keep him sharp. And well, here he is, you know. Forward, never backwards. He's always involved whatever the new hot thing is, you know, new technology, yeah. um, you know, always working, always traveling. Um, he's, a, he's an extraordinary guy, you know, and the success of that character is in large part due to what he brought to it. You know, they, you know, people talk about, you know, how big the performance is. I like to think of it as operatic. You know, um, he is, um, you know, he, he, he's just a really extraordinary guy and, um, and brought so much to that character, you know, uh, just in terms of, uh, uh, you know, being a leader you want to follow, um, commanding the respect of his crew, you know, and being, uh, you know, a captain with a green girl on every planet, as we say. <laughs> he's, he's, uh, he, he, and just, he's, 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 he's remarkable, and I don't think even he understands the appeal of this. Star Trek or that character, but um, I think it befuddles him. But uh, that's okay; he doesn't need to. He just, uh, but, are there uh, when you're done? And obviously, you finished the the Star Wars oral history book. Are there other TV shows or movie franchises you'd like to? Well, get? I guess it's been announced, so I don't have to be uh, circumspect about it. The next book we're doing is sort of a history of the action movie, spotlighting um, uh, John Wick. It's really a John Wick. Uh, Gun fu kind of, but it goes to deep dive into the new age of action. So it's a little different. But it, 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 the difference with this book is every book we pitched, this our editor came to us and asked if we were interested. And I'm a fan, and Ed's a fan, and um, we decided to do it. And uh, I, it's actually turning out quite well. I mean, the manuscript's due in August, and we're, we're almost done, and got great great interviews and great stories. And I'm actually really much more excited about that book than I thought I would be. Would you really would well. you ever would you ever want to turn the audios into an audio product? The audio interviews you might. Well, I mean, they they do the um, Audible does the uh, the audio podcast, so you know that's pretty much. Is I it, it audio books? So, it, but are the like for instance in the fifty year mission? I'm assuming that's just narrating the book, or are there inserts of the people you're talking to? No, it's all narrating. It's all narrating. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, and that's why I wonder if. Uh, and again, you know, radio guys. So I'm always thinking about. You know the the those those interviews and stuff must be amazing. And would you ever want to do? An, uh, you know, not really too much work. And um, okay, you no, know, that's part of what the pod. You know, you know, Trexperts is, and you know, honestly, with Trexperts, you know, people do this. Do you edit them? I'm like, no, it's live on tape. You know, it's it's. Uh, I don't believe in editing. It's like, I, I'm so I, with you. You know, I, look, for something I do for free, you know, where I'm not looking to make money on it, I'm not doing any more work than I have to because you know the podcast we do for fun. Or, you know, or and the preservation of the stories, you know, for the, like I say, the love of the game. But you know, I'm not making money on those podcasts, nor do I try. You know, we don't do Patreon, we don't do, um, uh, you know, uh, we don't do Apple subscriptions, we don't sell advertising because you know we want as many people to listen to them as we can, and thankfully we don't need to. But um, I don't, uh, you know, so I don't like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't really look to do things that are better that are, you know. Or at, at a loss, as they say. 
No, I understand, and it is time-consuming, so I can appreciate that. And by the way, I'm the same way. I And especially coming from broadcast radio, I let people swear. I don't mind if it sounds messy. Yeah. I, I didn't mind that heat of the moment play for a second just when we were talking. I mean, that's that's fun. I think that's fun, and it's it's all right. No, um, I, I, I think it's I, – I like the, the, the down and dirtiness of it all. And, you know, if somebody's like, oh, I messed that up, can I say that again? It's like, I don't care. It's like, you know, yeah. it's like, I like live on tape because to me it's kind of like a talk show. A hundred percent. No, exactly. It is a talk show. It's a good panel. You guys do a great panel show. And uh, I've had Brian Weiss on my uh, show a few times to talk about toys that made us and toy steering near you. And I'm always happy to talk to him. And then of course, you know, the PR people have him stacked with a bunch of other interviews because I'm like, I really want to talk Star Trek with you at some point. He's like, "Oh yeah, man, we will. It's cool." And uh, and he's he's incredibly kind. And I'm always glad he's a huge, back. huge Star Trek geek. In fact, so he's doing um, <laughs> the Center Seat for History Channel, which comes out this fall, which I'm somewhat involved with. I, I Great, a consultant giving them advice. Uh, I have, you know, I'm not really involved with the day to day, and I did a lot of commentary for them. But uh, I think it's gonna be great. I mean, I know they talk to a lot of people, and it's gonna be multi part. A deep dive into Star Trek, so I'm excited to see it. Um, and you know, uh, like I said, Brian is a super fan, so um, it, you know it should be really good. I know that this is something he's been wanting to do for a long time. I also like the pacing of his documentaries and television shows, and especially like just Toys That Made Us. It's hilarious to watch yeah, because and, and- from passion. You know, it's not like somebody said, "Oh, what can we cash in on?" Oh, toys are hot. Let's do that. No, he is like a huge toy collector and loves toys. And basically, you know, because of his success, you know, managing and all these comedy shows and selling all these comedy shows and managing all these giant comedians, he's able to force people to take shit that they wouldn't take otherwise. So like that is something where like I want to do a toy show and nobody wants to do it. And then he 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 sells it to them and it's a tremendous success. It's like, oh, see, you know, so. Well, and others have tried to do toy shows. Uh, you know, you had things, and and again, no disrespect to Toy Hunter and things like that, but like Brian, like manages to convey the fun without making fun of it or yes. coming off. And and again, I don't know, man. I mean, you and I are obviously nerds, and we love this shit, so it doesn't feel geeky to me. And also, to me, I worked at I worked at uh, the CBS news station in Chicago for several years, and in recent years. And it was so great just in the newsroom, literally uh, producers and writers going, hey, you're into that nerd shit. Have you seen the toys that made us? That's huh. a fucking hilarious show. And huh. I'm like, yeah, it is. Or And then the movies that made us dragged them in even more. And it's like, they're funny. They're really, and they're inter- and they get these interesting stories. God, who knew the toy business was as cutthroat as it is and as it's exploited in the toys that made us. Yeah, the no. Barbie episode, it's like, wow. You know, I mean, who knew? That's really underserved. And, you know, there hasn't been these great deep dives into the toy world. And so yeah. it's great that he's doing that and uh, exploring that in a way that people haven't in the past. Yeah, I agree, man. And, and again, like you said, his comedy side as well, I, I, especially during COVID, I'm like, God, how are you making specials, you know, when nobody's performing stand up and stuff? And no, and also uh, him uh, getting control of the, uh, the Bill Hicks uh, material. Right. And, you know, and, and again, again, we're the same age or close enough that, yeah, goddamn. I mean, I, I love Bill Hicks. And when I heard about that and saw the documentaries he made, I'm like, this is fantastic stuff. So, yeah, there's a lot of reasons to talk to Brian. And I'm really glad that uh, 
that he he found uh, his way on the track sports. There's uh, I'm at, when we're done recording, I'll I'll, uh, I'll give you a recommendation if you don't know somebody. I'll wait till we're off the air though. I don't want to I don't want to obligate you. <laughs> yeah, but, you know it's funny. It's like sometimes I get these you know fans who are pitching themselves, and I'm like, that's just not our show. There are no. plenty of podcasts like that. No, this is an yeah. industry. This is an industry pro that I think you'd really like to have yeah, on and stuff. That's at least great. that's great. So I mean, we really are just interested in people who are knowledgeable and interesting and have a good story to tell. Yeah, don't, don't worry. I'm not like, hey, I'd be great on your show. No, no, no. I got my <laughs> show. I'm all right, man. It's a lot of those, and it's kind of like no, uh, no, no. Don't worry, man. I mean, uh, like so many Star Trek podcasts, so it's like, well, that's that's the other great thing, man. Is there are so many Star Trek podcasts. And um, you have found, uh, again, a, uh, a niche within a niche that makes your show unique. You guys are all really passionate about it and, and very knowledgeable. And again, God, even we haven't, uh, I'd like to acknowledge the fact uh, your, your magazine writing of the 90s, uh, remind oh, me. Now you're making me feel old. Please. Again, you're old. I'm older than you. Relax. It's all, <laughs> it's all good. But no, you, uh, what was the name of the magazine in the 90s? Sci-Fi Universe. Man. Sci-Fi Universe. Absolutely, man. Jesus. That was a great magazine. I get, you know, it's so funny. I can't get over how many people say that to me. You know, I just did this week. Someone was doing something on the documentary, on the, the 1982 documentary. It was, and they said, oh, you know, I've been such a fan even since I was a kid reading Sci-Fi Universe. I'm like, oh, you're killing me. I'm with you, man. No, I, I know. Sci-Fi Universe. But, uh, you know, look, we were the internet before there was an internet because we were sarcastic. We were the magazine for sci-fi fans of the life. I would never do a magazine like that now because the internet is all about negativity, right? We were the only ones who were, we would do 50 reasons why Return of the Jedi sucks with, because everything else was kumbaya, right? Now that everything's negative, I would only go positive. That's part of Treadsports, why we don't talk about the things we don't like. We only like to talk about the things we like or the things like Star Trek Three, where we, we, um, we, we're teasingly negative. Where we really like it, but we have a lot of negative things to say. So it's like, um, you know, because the world has gotten so cynical and negative, we don't go there. We go very positive, you know. But I do. Sci-Fi Universe was like we were the infant terrible of the genre. I mean, we were, we were trying to be Spy Magazine, right? Exactly. And I loved Spy Magazine. Very good comparison, no question about that. And uh, no, I get it, man. You know, uh, it's funny. I know you guys tease Star Trek Three. Uh, Lawrence Luckenbill, Cybok, of course, uh, recently. I don't know if this – I'm not going to say that to me. Lawrence Luckenbill, you know he played Cybok. Well, I'm saying, for, I'm saying for the audience, of course. <laughs> I know. No, no, no. I know. Exactly. I don't know if you know about this space-time thing, Professor Einstein. Let me let me break it down for you. But um, he, he wrote a graphic novel based on one of his one-man plays because he did uh, one-man plays. Didn't he do LBJ? He did LBJ, but this one was about um, Teddy Roosevelt. Oh wow! And it came out right uh, right around the time of uh, the inauguration, and um, and it was great. And I so I got to interview him. Could not have been sweeter. Yeah. And and you know again, it's funny. I love Star Trek three, but of course we all Star Trek five. It's like, all right. But to me, there's still fun scenes. And I've heard you guys we defended Star Trek five. We did two We did a WonderCon panel on it where we, we had uh, David Lowry, you know, who wrote it. And 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 we were, you know we defended Star Trek, but we've done a couple of things, and even when we we're talking to Ralph Winter, we we defended it. So um, you know, look, Star Trek Five looks better and better as the years go on compared to other things. And um, not only that, you know, char- the heart of it is character, and yeah. it, it unfortunately gets a bad rap because of the effects. 
people yes. can't get past the effects. I can't get past the effects. I'm you know, with you. Yeah. You know that it was condemned to to fail because of that awful decision to go with Brent Fern. If it had been ILM effects, no one would be talking about Star Trek Five the way it may not be their favorite movie, but it wouldn't be this bastard stepchild that everyone loves to rag on. It's just because those effects make it easy to hate. I I hear you, man. Well, thankfully, watching it over and over again, I've found more and more that I like about it. And I was really able to have a because I'm the same way, man. When when you and I'm sure you feel this way, and including yourself. If if I wanted to be negative, I would not have you on as a guest because I would be like, hey, you know what sucks about whatever, you know, free enterprise or and again, clearly I've shown my Nothing. love for it. But it's like, right, there's a, exactly. But no, you're a guest, and the operative word is guest. You don't invite somebody into your living room yeah. to tell them why they suck. Yeah. And, and it was very easy with Luck and Bill because, thankfully, his career was so interesting. We talked about Boys in the Band and uh, other TV that he did. And uh, ultimately, and he had great Star Trek Five stories. And it would be, God, I'd almost recommend that you guys try to get him yeah, on I the phone. Yeah, I thought about that. That's a good idea. You, you know? know? And, and, you know, he's good in the movie. I mean, you know, look, had it been Sean Connery? Of course. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, he's good in the movie. He is good in the movie. And he's, and he's a great counterweight to their to the, the trio's characters. Yeah, and he was so sweet about it. And then really saying, oh, I'm so glad you feel that way, John. And then we had an amazing conversation. Everyone and, has uh, a secret pain. Well, exactly. <laughs> we go stronger through the sharing. That's right. I need my pain. I don't want to lose my pain. <laughs> I mean, that's great, right? Come on. Yes. That's great stuff. And the opening teaser, you know, when he, with, with the laughing Vulcan yes. and the Shatner shoots it like Lawrence of Arabia. It's all great. This, this, I mean, what does God need with the starship? Come on. This is awesome stuff. George Murdoch. Come on, man. Yeah, guys, George Murdoch is God. I mean, I, I love it. Inspector I, I Scanlon. It's, it's, you know, lots of love in that movie. I, I you see an I, anniversary yesterday, I think. I, I would vote mentioning George Murdoch. I would vote for a Barney Miller uh, retrospective. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I always remember George Murdoch as the doctor, Dr. Salek from uh, the original Battlestar Galactic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Know? And then, of course, he's the, the admiral in uh, Best of Both Worlds. Yeah, and now do you- that line where he says about Shelby, uh, you know, only a, an old man's fantasies. It's like, oh, come on. It's so 90s. <laughs> Even then, that was like. I Yeah. You know the one that the one that um, confuses me is, and I've heard younger generations pick apart part a next generation movie or episode. It's the host, and and I've heard younger people like kind of make a face at that one. And I guess in today's oh, because uh, he rejects uh, him because he's now a woman. Look, here's the thing about that: it was the freaking nineties. You can't apply today's standards to the way things were then. We've come so far since then. That was actually a very provocative thing at the time. And you have to try and understand it. And you know what? Maybe she's not attracted to women. She's allowed. I know? agree. I agree. Yeah. And again, I, I, God, uh, there's a great uh, movie podcast, uh, Projection Booth. And my friend Gabe Hardman recommended it to me. And they were talking about Better Off Dead, the Savage Steve Holland right. movie, yeah. with John, John Cusack. And for people listening who don't know, John Cusack's character is so obsessed with his girlfriend she that there are photos all over the walls. His hangers are in large photographs of her. So and and you know there were it was two guys around our age that loved the movie and a third person that was younger. And her point was, 
wow, that looks like a stalker. And, uh, <laughs> you know, John Cusack's trying to kill himself throughout the movie. Suicide's not funny. And it's like, it's a parody. And it's, and it's such an extreme parody. You can't right. take it seriously. But again, different point of view, different generation. Here yeah, we are. But, you know, it's like... Uh... Uh, you know, I, look, it gets us into territory that... that oh, know, I know. It's a real source of uh, of uh, consternation for me, you know, when people start to, you know, get upset about old movies. It's like, you, you're you you're well, you know, I, I think it's going to happen when No Time to Die premieres. We're going to get into that whole, you know, the, the, the problematic nature of the Bond movies. And it's just like, then don't watch them. Well, if that's... ended by the Bond's behavior, don't watch He's not modeling good behavior. He's a damaged guy. Who drowns his sorrows in women and booze? And you know what? It's realistic, and it, and it's also you know, yeah. You can say, oh, it should be aspirational for men. That's fine. You can say, but you know what? I'm not interested in like this is problematic. I, I you know, the Bond movie should have some kind of warning or something. It's like, don't watch it. But that's watch I, it. I do think Bond, the Bond franchise, is at an interesting crossroads. There was a milder version of this, as you know, during the Timothy Dalton years, yeah, where they did try to pull yeah. back on the character and make him a little more. But it PC. wasn't because of the sexism. They thought it was modeling bad behavior to have him smoke and to have him sleeping around during AIDS. Right. So, but you could even say that made him a less interesting character. So uh, yes. maybe they shouldn't have done that. I completely. Yeah. Well, I feel that way. I. I mean, I, I was too. not a huge Timothy Dalton fan. Although kids today, these kids today love Timothy Dalton. It's, yeah. I, it's amazing. Next to Connery, apparently, everyone thinks Dalton was like, this incredible Bond. And I, I don't dislike Dalton, but I don't hold him in this incredible esteem the way I do Connery and and I, honestly Roger and, and George and and Daniel. I always say I'm like I'm like Father Flanagan when it comes to James Bond. There's no such thing as a bad James Bond. Yeah, I, uh, it's it's the movies. Did the movies serve the character or not? And I feel that way about Dalton. I do I do see the appeal of Dalton, but unfortunately, he was underserved by two, two not terrible great movies. movies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he hey, uh, third movie. Yep, Warren Drummond says hello, storyboard artist. I see story that. Artist. I know Warren. Uh, Warren's a great guy. He's super talented. Amazing uh, storyboard artist. Yep, longtime friend and uh, longtime uh, viewer and listener. So oh, that's I'm, great. I'm glad he's here. Chris Conley says if uh, Scott Mance is in this movie, uh, he'll be watching. Is, is he, oh, he's in 1982. He's a producer on it, and he'll be in it. So you should go to Kickstarter, 1982 Greatest Geek Year Ever, and uh, check out because there's some amazing rewards, and you'll make Scott very happy. Absolutely. Here, Scott's I'm going to bring more enthusiastic than either of us combined. I mean, I love having Scott on Inglorious Trexperts and making fun of his enthusiasm, you know, because, you know, when he goes off on Star Trek 2009 or Metamorphosis, it's like, you know, you could power a wind farm off of his energy. I mean, hydroelectric power, <laughs> you just, you know, put him up to the grid and Scott could power electricity in a small town. It's unbelievable. I'm glad you allow for a little bit of debate over things like the 2009 Abrams uh, Star Trek movie. And I know Mance is a big Fan of that film. Big, big, big believer. Big believer. Yes. And you know what? That's great because my whole thing is everyone's entitled to love or like what they like. Of course. And, you know, and, and it's not very fun if we just all agree. Where's the debate? You know, no, I, fun. I, I, you know, all these people who like, like, oh, you know, you're, you're gatekeeping or whatever to somebody who's like, doesn't like what they like. No, 
you just have a difference of opinion. When, when you tell them they're an idiot for liking it, well, that's, that's you know, but but uh, but I think it's, it's great when people have a difference of opinion, it's particularly if they can articulate what it is they don't like or they do like about something. Well, you know, and, and I, that's what I always search for because I will confess new, new Star Trek disappoints me from a writing standpoint. That said, and I always mean this, I am there every uh, Friday morning with or Thursday. What I guess it was on Thursdays. New new Trek usually breaking on Thursdays. Whenever they drop a new episode, I'm always optimistic. Like, all right, well maybe I'll like this story, this individual episode, and where the season is going. Maybe it'll wrap up or whatever. Um, and I and and I am. I remain optimistic. I remain optimistic about Star Trek Prodigy. I have friends who wrote on Star Trek Prodigy, and I'm really hoping that I'll enjoy it more. Than a lot of the other new Trek, but again, I don't, I don't blame anyone for liking it. But I do always want, as you said, it's like, explain to me what you like about it, and and uh, and again, not to challenge them, but I really do. I'm like, all right, what you, what is it about the show that you like? And some people are, and sadly, a lot of times the answer I get is, I don't know, it's Star Trek, I like it, and it's like, all right, you know, again, I wish there was a deeper answer. Modern Trekkie, it was this Star Trek they loved. I'll tell you, you know, it's interesting. You know, Voyager was a show that I didn't particularly like at the time. And I was very dismissive of it. And that was a show, and I talked about this when I was doing my research for the fifth year mission, where I was talking to a lot of women of a certain age that grew up in Voyager. And I guess I was lost in me how meaningful that show was to them, seeing a woman as captain. Sure. And how much that um and 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 uh so you know, I realized that I was kind of being overly dismissive of something that meant a lot to people. And I and I got that because I got how in a way Shatner and Kirk was a huge role model for me growing up and why having a female captain meant so much to these women who went into, you know, medicine and went into tech and all that stuff. So, um, uh, you know, so I was willing, I, you know, I sort of gave Voyager another chance. I still didn't love it, but I, I appreciated it more. I, I understood where they were coming from. And I did find some episodes like Timeless and a couple other that are quite good that I really like. Um, I'm, I'm right. on my list of great Star Trek series. But um, but I had a lot more appreciation for it, and uh, you know, so I get why certain things mean so much to people, and and you know why you kind of not tread carefully, but just people like what they like, and there are a lot of reasons, some good, some bad, and you know you just respect that, and uh, but you know I'll be merciless if somebody goes after TOS, you know, because it's like the whole thing is built on the shoulders, you know, we stand on the shoulders. Oh yeah, and it's like you know, so certain people who are like you know, dismissive of, of the original series. It's like, you know, everything's a copy of that. And it's a copy of a copy of a copy. It, and, and it was so innovative. So you don't have to like it. You can think it's cheesy or over the top or, you know, whatever. You can't understand it was made in the 60s. It's so groundbreaking. It's so ahead of its time. And, you know, the format is something, you know, that, that still is in the DNA of every Star Trek show since. So that that's the one thing I won't, I won't tolerate. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm with you on that. And Voyager... I, I agree. It, it felt like they ran out of ideas, but I will say, looking back, there are significant episodes, like you say, that at least ask an interesting science fiction question. Yeah. And I think that's what's missing in today's Star Trek. They they seem to have forgotten that they're a science fiction show. Well, we just and, had Brian Fuller on the Trek Sports Briefing Room, and he did commentary on Bride of Chaotica, and it's great. And it, it, I love that episode, and it's great hearing his perspective on it. And, you know, but even he's talking about why he felt at the time the show was very risk averse. And I agree with that. And I think, you know, after Deep Space Nine, where the show didn't perform the way they hoped and it was much 
more risky and off concept, you know, Voyager was created to be more safe Absolutely. and to be light. And, you know, now people who aren't familiar with the history don't see that. They just evaluate it on its own terms and, and love it. And that's great. But, you know, to me, it was always next generation light. Oh, 100%. And again, even sadly, even more so in Enterprise and even more heartbreaking when you hear what Braga and Rick Berman wanted to do with Enterprise and start the first year totally earthbound. On Earth, right. Yeah, which would have been a lot more interesting and exciting to do in the same ways that Deep Space Nine well, was interesting. The problem of Star Trek in that era was it was so ratings driven and, and you know, and, and the bar was so high for the success of the next generation that they were always chasing that and they were never going to catch, they were never going to be able to recapture that um, because of just the way it was distributed, the fact that they were on these, you know, these low rated networks. Yeah, and, UPN, yeah. And so it was never, it was never going to happen and as a result, there was, you know, there was just a risk averseness that really damaged it because they were, you know, they weren't willing to take risks and try something new and really stay within this paradigm. And so, um, which isn't to say there aren't wonderful episodes of Enterprise. There are. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really hard to do 26 episode seasons. Really hard. And it's amazing that there were as many good episodes as there were. Uh, Warren says, uh, I once told producer writer Matt Nix to watch original Trek when he prepped the gifted as it had a perfect set of unique characters and conflicts and relationships. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. No, it, I, original Star Trek is the template for character. Uh, uh, that Troy, that original Troika, you know, and everyone, you know, it's been said a million times. It's the id, the super ego, and, you know, and, and, and uh, well, the ego, you know, the three. Yeah. And it's, so it's brilliant. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. No, I'm with you, man. Uh, real fast as we wrap up, uh, comic book fan, what, what did you read if you were? Well, I was a huge comic book fan in the late 70s and early 80s. And, um, you know, so I, I was mostly a moral person, but I read a lot of Batman because I just love Batman. And, you yeah. know, I was the kind of guy who would buy a bunch of stuff like when Electra died because I figured when I sold them, they, they put me through college, you know. And, and But then I would buy stuff like Rom, the Space Knight, and Micronauts, which I just love. Sure. Uh, and was worth nothing. And, of course, the Star Trek comics. <laughs> And and the Battlestar Galactic. I bought. All, I was a sucker for all those movie things, um, you know, like Beyond the Black Hole, the Charleston comic. And well, uh, oh, that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I just, I just, I love that stuff. It's, you know, movies that never had sequels and all that shit. You know, because it was the Logan's Run comic that Marvel did. I mean, the 2001 comic. I mean, it's like, come on. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. But but I loved all that. And, you know, Planet of the Apes and 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 uh, uh, and, and and so I, you know, I kind of. At a point, it was getting too expensive. Like right when I went to college, it was getting too expensive for me to, to keep up with my habit, yes. you know, my addiction. So sure. I sort of went cold turkey on comics for a while. But whenever something significant came out, like Killing Joke or you know Dark Knight uh, or um, Watchmen, I would buy those. So I was in you know aware of what was happening in the zeitgeist. Sure, um, but but I, I you know I didn't I didn't keep really collecting. I'm so glad you had the Tiptons on Trexperts. Oh, they're great. Yeah, because, man, I'll tell you, that is the one thing is licensed uh, comics, whatever the subject, they get real fans to write this stuff now, unlike uh, Charlton in the 70s when, you know, they might have been on model with their Hanna-Barbera comic books, but the stories just weren't that yeah. fun. I, uh, well, you look, one of my, my favorite experiences of, you know, was when I was doing the Deep Space Nine comic, because, you know, I did a bunch of those from Malibu. I didn't know that. That's great, man. Oh, yeah, I did... Uh, I did, uh, you know, I, it was back when I was a journalist. I was interviewing the guys in Malibu, and uh, they said, well, you're so well-versed in Star Trek. Would you be interested in, um, 
you know, doing comics. And I said, yeah. I've never written a comic. They said, it's not hard. We'll give you a script. And, you know, if you, you know, and, and I, I wrote, uh, it was a similar thing. My first Deep Space Nine, I think it was Deep Space Nine 8. And it was too long. And I said, this really needs to be two parts. And they said, well, I, you know, I don't know. And then they read it and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll make it two parts. Oh, that's great. It's kind of a thinly veiled Anne Frank story. And then I did Deep wow. Space Nine Zero, which was Terok Nor, which is my favorite, one of my favorite things I ever did. It was basically the Fountainhead in space. And wow. not a non-Ran fan, but it was it was great. And then I did a miniseries for them called Hearts and Minds and a sequel to that, Lightstorm. And then I did the McKee, and I was supposed to write the Voyager comic, but then they got sold to uh, Marvel. And then DC hired me to do uh, a classic Star Trek, which was really exciting. And the first time I got a check from DC, which that alone was like really, because I remember going on school trips and like, middle school to dc at that you know and 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 you know just to see how cool it was and i, I because i remember I, the thing i remember most about that school trip was going to the gift shop and buying the superman 2 album on vinyl which had the hologram of the superman logo and uh so the fact that i was now getting a check from dc was very exciting to me um so yeah i had a great time doing comics i did and i was really always surprised that um you know, IDW never came and asked me to do anything because, you know, those were extremely well received and they, they were great comics and I really enjoyed doing it. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, pending availability and timing and everything. I'd love to do that again. That was, that was really fun. Man, I, you know, I, I bet IDW would, would love to have you uh, do something. Um, Eric Williams wants to know if you have heard any word or on a Blu-ray of the motion picture from Paramount anytime soon. Oh, nice man. thing, perhaps, to promote Paramount Plus. Well, you know, even if I did, I couldn't say anything. But uh, I will say this: um, as Mr. Spock is fond of saying, there are always possibilities. Uh, I think is you know the the thing that's always kept it from happening has been cost. And um, the great thing is now the home video division doesn't have to carry the load because of Paramount Plus. And given how the Snyder Cut worked and created amount of attention all disproportionate to what it was, um, that Star Trek is in a similar position where they could throw a little bit of money and get a lot of love and a lot of attention, you know, for doing something. So I, I suspect it will happen. Uh, I don't know when that timetable is, uh, but I think it's inevitable. And I also think that, you know, the home video division, one of their most successful Star Trek has always been among their most successful titles, you know, on home video. So the only way you can sell them again is to remaster them in 4K. And I don't think you can put out a version of the motion picture without, uh, re you know, putting the money into the director's edition. That said, you know, I would hope and expect that any version of Star Trek, the motion picture is like Blade Runner, where you, when Blade Runner came out with, the theatrical version, the work print version, the final version, you know, I would want Star Trek, the, the theatrical, the ABC cut, you know, and the director. Yes. Yes. I, I'm not interested in just one version of it. You know, um, I love the director's edition, but I also want the version that I grew up with. And I also, the ABC, because it has a bunch of crazy scenes that aren't in any other version. And I yeah, I, what was it with ABC, man? They did it, as you know, they did it with Superman, the the Donner first Superman movie as well, and also Star we, we Trek. Too. Whole, we did two episodes of Trek Experts on this because it was so interesting. We talked about the um, TV cuts, you know, because that started in the in the seventies with stuff like King Kong because they needed yeah. to two nights, right? So they had to add a bunch of footage. So you know, Chow Factory just put out King Kong on Blu-ray with the NBC cut. 
you know, Star wow. Trek also put in a bunch of extra footage and they didn't even really promote it. And Star Trek fans would have been like, wow, new footage. And, and that was partially, you know, Gene uh, wanting to restore some of this, the footage. Um, and then you, um, you know, you have obviously the Superman cut. I was so happy a couple of years ago, Warner archives put out the ABC cut of uh, Superman because all I had was a VHS tape that I right off ABC many, many years ago. Um, but yeah, I, I'm fascinated by TV cuts of movies. And we did two episodes on um, of that phenomenon on Trexperts. And one of the most fun episodes we've done with Eddie Egan, who was a publicist for Paramount at the time. And we also talked about a lot of the lost scenes like Sp- Khan's baby. Have you gone into on the 430 movie? Have you gone into um, those great 70s movie of the weeks that ABC was making? Because I saw Leonard Gold. Goldsmith, Goldberg, I forget his last name. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. Huh. Uh, but uh, what is it? Leonard Goldberg? Is that, is that his name? Yeah, he was the ABC executive. Documentaries. Yeah, and he's yeah. on those... those te- I mean, I'm sure you guys pour through those Television Academy oral histories that they've shot yeah. that are sitting on their website. Some of people- those are really good and some of them are not. Sure. Depending sure. on who the interviewer is. But that, that era of the 70s, it really, I mean, they, you know, God, duel the the $6 million man uh, first three movies, the Night Stalker movies, you know, all those things were made. Uh, I mean, and I know there were backdoor pilots in some cases. Duel wasn't. But right. there really were a lot of interesting movies of the well, week. And yeah, I, I don't know if you heard the Night Stalker, obviously. Sure. Um, yeah, so the many- horror movies, a lot of great horror movies. And then a lot of great miniseries. I mean, I'm a huge fan of The Winds of War. I mean, oh, yeah, yes. he talked about that as much, but um, for sure. Shogun yeah, so, from yeah, NBC. It's great. A lot of them. Yeah, but I was just wondering if they, if you guys in that 430 movie uh, construct. No, we haven't really done that, although we've talked about it. We, we really stick to movies, but we've been talking about maybe doing a TV movie week. There's this one that I love, like I said, the Colombo called Murder by Natural Causes, but I'd have to see it again. Um you know, to talk about it with any of sure. expertise. But then we talked about, you know, Late the Heaven on Trexperts, which is an amazing PBS MLW. Fantastic. I and love that movie. It's hard to get a hold of these days. Yes. DVD as well, never put out on Blu-ray. And um, it's a, um, one of the great adaptations of a sci-fi novel ever. I have talked about that with uh, Burnett. I, I completely agree. And He's again, a- remember seeing it on, on, you know, over the air TV. My favorite that I pointed out to Brad Meltzer is uh, a big Houdini guy. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's funny. Of course, uh, mentioning Lathe of Heaven, uh, Bruce Davidson, you're damn right, Warren. So that's awesome. Um, but I uh, I was talking to Brad, and Brad had an episode of his Decoded Up uh, show on uh, Houdini. And I'm like, have you ever seen this movie of the week from the 70s where Paul Michael Glaser plays Houdini? Uh, Sally Struthers was best Houdini. And the narrator of the film was best no, but it should have been. But uh, in in classic, what the hell are they doing with this casting? TV fashion. Uh, Vivian Vance as best. Oh my god! <laughs> it's on YouTube, and and Bill Bixby plays a medium that Houdini exposes, and nice. it's integral to the part uh, to the plot as well. And it's it's hilarious. And I'm like Brad, you got to watch this because I know he's a big Houdini. I'm like it's it's ridiculous in the best way. And, you know, two days later, he texts me. He's like, I'm pounding the floor laughing at something. <laughs> so, yeah. But again, that's, I'm, I'm uh, you know, and, and much like yourself, uh, I backed into an Out of Limits podcast 
with my buddy Gabriel Hardman, another great storyboard artist that Ward I know knows quite well. And, you know, because Gabe was just like, how come no one's done the original series and done a really good podcast of that? I'm like, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So we're, we're closing in on finishing up season two. Right. And, oh, and awesome. we've, yeah, we've been discussing what we might do next. Because, again, there's a million Star Treks. There's a million Columbo yeah. podcasts. It's like, what's your hooker? <laughs> Is there a TJ Hooker podcast? There should be. That's fantastic. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, Mark, you've been very generous with your time. I don't want to keep you. Well, John, but... thanks so much for having me on the show. This is really Oh, my God. It was my pleasure, truly. I hope you'll come back. Uh, the Kickstarter, again, here's the poster for what uh, the ambition is for the guys. 1982, greatest geek year ever. It's not a question, Mark. There's an explanation. <laughs> I had a ton of great rewards and opportunities to, uh, you know, posters and, and, and exclusive artwork and chances to talk to us and join the, the podcast and all kinds of fun stuff so yeah i think on kickstarter really if you're an aspiring creator uh there are some great uh opportunities i guess to kind of maybe you know talk story pitching or something am i wrong or not so much story pitching, but it, career advice things like that so okay um a lot of a lot of opportunities and um, hopefully you know but the best thing to me is like the chance to see this movie come to fruition I think it'll be pretty special. Absolutely. And then in uh, just a couple of weeks, it'll be Secrets of the Force. Looking forward to that. And uh, it's possible Pandora might be coming back <laughs> for a great season. Nope. My lips are sealed. <laughs> We're not sure. But uh, no, Mark, honestly, really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you'll come back. I'd love to talk yeah, to you no, more thanks. about this. I, I'd be, it'd, be, it'd be fun. This is a lot of fun, John. There you go, Mark A. Altman. Uh, you can catch out Inglorious Trexperts and the Inglorious Trexperts Briefing Room wherever podcasts are and uh, the Electric Surge television network as uh, Mark said available on a lot of digital platforms don't forget 1982 the greatest geek year ever and a whole lot more of those fine oral histories uh, available at Amazon if you look up his name Mark A. Allman on Star Trek Buffy Battlestar Galactica James Bond and now coming up in just a couple weeks the Star Wars one so uh, pretty neat stuff from Mark A. Allman Until next time, thanks for listening. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2021. Stay safe, stay happy, stay healthy, get vaccinated.